Hey, want to jump in here and just bring back up episode 250, Toys for Tots campaign put together by Seller Labs. It is such a great opportunity. I was with the seller on Friday. Uh, their team is working on it. I'm very, very excited. This is a chance for you to use the skills that you personally have developed. You've got sourcing muscles. Not many other people have it. And this is a chance where we can take and use our skills to help those less fortunate. All the information's on episode 250. Such a great cause. Give back, give back, give back this time of year. Thanks. Hope your Q4 is going good. It's a great time to be selling and sell a lot. Watch your repricers. I just got whacked on one, lost $15 a unit. I didn't lose, but I lost in profit because I should have blocked one. Wasn't paying attention, so please do. Let me tell you about a couple sponsors. Um, you know, Scope from Seller Labs. If you're not using it to even just to take your wholesale accounts, of course you got to use it for private label, right? You need to understand the keyword. You want to understand a keyword, go look at your competitors, get their keywords, and then use them. That's smart business, right? Because they already have proven that proof of concept. But take the same approach to your wholesale accounts. Make sure that those keywords are in there. If not, upload those changes. Many times you can't, but many times you can't. Take advantage. Scope from Seller Labs. Go to sellerlabs.com slash scope. Use the code word momentum. Save a few bucks. Get a few keywords. Get your listings found. Got to find that keyword and scope will be the product that will help you there. Solutions for e-commerce. Karen Locker, you know, again, you hear me talk about her because she is my account manager. She's been doing a great job. Again, I had some stranded listings and I noticed them down there on the bottom right-hand corner. They're gone. I look back and they're gone and I see stuff submitted. I see stuff returned. It's such a great process because I don't have to pay attention to that. I can pay attention to the other parts of our business. Solutions for e-commerce slash momentum will save you 50 bucks. Lowest price she offers and you still get the inventory health report. Take a look at it. Get set up for 2018 now. Tell Karen I sent you. When you're thinking about um, Q4 lists and I hope you don't use them just Q4. I hope you use them all year long. Again, you want to learn how to fish, right? And so the best thing to do when you're buying a list is look at what they're doing and how they're doing it and then figure that out on your own. That's the approach that Gay Lisby uses in her million-dollar arbitrage list. It is closed for the rest of this year. However, I have asked them and they have said they would do it. If there's an opening, they will pull from the wait list. Okay, so I have the link out on my uh, site on this episode that'll have a, uh, a link that'll take you right onto the wait list. So get on the wait list if there's something that you're interested. Remember, she's going to give you a seven-day free trial, so there's nothing to lose. But then once you get in there, take advantage. Learn how to fish, right? Sharpen your tool, you know, sharpen your skills, I guess is the right phrase I should use. Okay, so again, I have that link out on this episode, so jump out there and get on that list. You know, GoDaddy and uh, Grasshopper are both national sponsors of the show. I'm very fortunate. Um, I have a third one coming on in February. I'm very excited about that. But GoDaddy, I use them uh, just with somebody who had a great idea for an, uh, uh, for a domain, and I'm like, use my link, save 30%. 30%. Yes, they pay me. We all know that. However, 30% is real. I use it myself because I want to save the 30%. So it's trygodaddy.com slash momentum. Right, try GoDaddy.com slash momentum and you're gonna save thirty percent. Grasshopper's the same deal. Try grasshopper.com slash momentum and you're gonna save fifty bucks. Um, I saw somebody else just signed up for it. The service makes you 
a professional. All of a sudden, your business has a phone number, has a vanity phone number. You can kind of create your own one if it's available. But you don't need a second phone. And I think that's the big thing. It's not Google Voice, which is choppy. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. This is professional stuff. Press 1 for customer service. Press 2 for my Amazon account manager, which would go to Karen's team. I mean, this is a great opportunity. So it's trygrasshopper.com slash momentum. Save 50 bucks. Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products, and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Stephen Peterson. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode 254, Jason Sloan. Now, Jason goes by the YouTube name Prof Sales, and we get into why he uses Professor of Sales, which is what is is short for. Um, but he's got a really interesting background, and what's so cool to me is that he kind of figured out the parts that he wants to do on his terms, and it's kind of a neat place to get to because when you work for, and he was in retail, and you'll hear that story, and you have opportunities, and then you don't agree with it, it gets to you, and so you really kind of want to do what you want to do, and I, th- I hope more people do it. I mean, I, I just, I'm seeing more people doing because I'm interviewing them, but I just hope more people figure out that there's another way. You get to choose, and I think uh, Jason is a great example of that. Let's get into the podcast. All right, welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. Very excited about today's guest. Um, he is a fellow content producer, and I've been watching his stuff, and I really enjoy it. And dude knows his stuff. Jason Sloan, aka Prof Sales, on YouTube. Welcome, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me, Stephen. Glad to be here. I appreciate you coming on. Um, I've been watching, and I don't know how I found you. But somehow you come up and, you know, they're smarter than us, right, these Google guys, and they know, hey, if he's watching this type of video, he'll likely like this video. And uh, you've been coming up a lot lately on YouTube for me and probably for a lot of other people. And so I'm interested to find out how you got started uh, with YouTube. But, but first, why prof sales? What does that mean? Well, that's um, – long story short, I used to be a professor – um, I used to teach at a local community college, and it's always been a passion of mine. So when I got into the reselling game and selling on eBay and Amazon and Craigslist and all that good stuff, I thought, you know, maybe I'll start a YouTube channel and just talk about my experiences and so on. And in doing that, I was like, I don't really want to use my exact name. So I decided, well, what can I put together that will sort of you know, encapsulate what I do and who I am and who I've been, who I want to be? So I combined the word professor, shortened it down to prof, um, which I thought would be a little easier to spell, although strangely enough, it's not sometimes for people. (laughs) And then I thought, you know, and what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about sales. I'm talking about revenue. I'm talking about business. I'm talking about being an entrepreneur. So putting those two together, I thought would kind of generate a quick, you know, one-two punch, easy to understand name for YouTube that I could use as sort of, you know, my trademark and you know what. My channel was about what I was going to talk about, and that's how I came up with it. Okay, makes sense. I mean, I, I immediately thought he's the professor of sales, right? He's going to teach me sales. That's that is where I went, but I didn't right. know if there was a story, and I'm glad to know there is a story. So tell me, what did you go to school for? 
Well, um, I initially went to school for political science. Oh, that's got... related to sales. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> actually, you know what? Uh, given given the political realm out there today, that's probably a pretty good one, right? For sales, right? Any any kind of you could do both. I mean, because you have to sell yourself, yeah, or sell a line of whatever. <laughs> yeah. Once upon a time, I was going to be a lawyer. Um, oh. And, um, you know, life took me in a different direction for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, so a political science degree and a master's degree in political science seemed like, hey, that's a good course to go. And then I'll go into law school. And um, I did not go that direction. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, it after I got out, I really didn't do anything specifically with that degree. But it's definitely helped me in a lot of other ways. So, so you were going to be a lawyer. I mean, was that – I mean, are your parents lawyers or is there – I mean, what led you that way? No. My parents are not lawyers at all. They they actually worked um, a lot of years for the same company and uh, not in that field at all. But when I was younger, I loved to argue and mm. um, argue in the sense that um, you know, just trying to persuade someone, trying to understand my own position better. So the law seemed like a, a reasonable course to use for that. So, hey, maybe I can get paid for arguing. Mm, that sounds good. And you can use it to pick up girls, too. That is a highlight <laughs> as you get a little older. Right? Well, when I was a little younger, that that might have been part of it, at least that, on some level. Absolutely. I mean, back then. I get it now. Okay, so you were going to go – you went to school, and you got out with this degree, and the starry-eyed, uh, learned student said what? Did you go uh, shovel snow, or where would you go to work? Well, I got married. Um oh. That changes so things. this was, yeah, Ooh, to- now it's totally, I know, it just got serious. Um, totally different direction. Got married, moved, um, well, basically stayed in my hometown for a while. Ended up taking a sales job. Um, interestingly enough, I had the opportunity to become a sheriff's deputy and did not. <laughs> That's interesting. That, that would have been a totally different direction and probably in retrospect would have been a better direction, at least at that time in my life. Um, but... I decided to go into the sales field, which eventually led to um, a retail management field as well. So Ooh. I went off in a totally different direction. I'm one of those. I'm one of those three quarters of the people that gets their degree and then does not get a job in that field. Yeah. Well, and and I I don't know. I mean, I I think of a poli sci degree. It is valuable for. I mean, again, it's a communications, right? That's a lot of what right. we do. That's valuable pretty much across any industry anymore, unless. Even government. I mean, it really is. So I, I, w- I would argue that that degree would be valuable no matter what versus um, a general business degree or uh, even a history degree, um, a general history degree. If right. you're not specific or even worse, my son was studying, uh, my youngest uh, who's, who's changed his major, he was studying computer science. I mean, the most generic computer science degree. And I'm like, dude, that's not going to get you anywhere. Um, you got to be a little more specific. And he changed uh, into digital media, and now he's mm-hmm. booming. All of a sudden, he's booming. So I think poli sci is actually a very good degree. Um, however, retail sales management—that doesn't sound fun. It—it <laughs> uh, it wasn't maybe fun, although there were periods that were fun. Um, but I did learn a lot of things. I mm. learned a lot about business. Okay, which, so um, walk us through that. What 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 kind of company? You don't have to say who it was. I mean, what kind of company? Uh, retail. Sure. Well, I worked for actually. I don't mind saying the companies. I, I worked for Kmart Ooh. for about a year and a half. That's um, a learning was, lesson there. Yeah, sure was. 
Um, it basically told me I don't want to work for Kmart. Um, <laughs> but I did learn some things for sure. I learned some things about managing and leading people and about, you know, business in general and profit and loss statements and inventory and sourcing and things like that. And then I ended up working for Gap um, for, I guess, about six years. Can I ask and, you a question about Kmart yeah. before we go there, uh, before we go on? Because, uh, you know, I know they're struggling. So how was it working in an – and it's not like they're new struggling. They've been bankrupt, I think, once or yeah. twice already. And yeah. so how was it leading a team when the company is so struggling? How do you motivate people? How do you, how do you keep them on task? Right. That's a great question. And it was definitely something that I struggled to do as a relatively new – well, as a new manager slash leader – I didn't have a lot of experience doing it. Um, I found that the only thing that really you could use to motivate people was the sense of accomplishment within the team because mm-hmm. a sense of accomplishment in terms of the big company's goals and what their expectations were was not realistic, and we, weren't, we didn't really have the resources to do it. So we had to come up with basically – what it looked like success for us and our team. I was a soft lines manager, which is the the clothing and the Martha Stewart side of the store and all that good stuff. And it was difficult for sure. Um, you really had to to kind of focus in because there wasn't a really good direction from above, and the and the morale, the um, the mood of the company was poor at that time, and it's right. since gotten worse. Yeah, I think it has. Well, ha- has have there been tools or or I guess just learnings that you have that you've been able to bring into your own business now because you're I, I think a one person operation am I correct well somewhat Karn okay. helps me a lot as well okay sure. so you get a little bit of help there but so how do you I mean were there skill sets that you've learned there that can bring you through because you know let's face it a this is a lonely business yeah um, B it's high and low every 10 minutes or so, right? This is the best thing. I, I, I just gave this talk. This is the best business in the world. I can't believe it. And then five minutes later, oh, my God, what did I do? Why didn't I stay at my job, right? I mean, that's the way it goes. Were there things there that, that are kind of pushing you through now because you've seen it and you, you've come through the other side of it? Yeah. there. You know, one of the things that was really um, eye-opening about Kmart was their distribution, their inventory, for instance, dealing with that, getting it to the floor, marketing it, merchandising it was a real struggle um, So because we really didn't have the resources to get it done. The direction was not always clear. We weren't always – we didn't have the SKUs we were supposed to have. So it really presented really? a lot of challenges um, for is sure. it because it's just old and they haven't updated it and haven't invested because they're just trying to stay alive? Well, I think at that point, this would have been in the late 90s. Hmm. Um, their, their, their supply chain was broken. Um, they were struggling to get product at a cheap enough price. They were having to borrow more and more money. But, um, Walmart was just kicking their butt um, all over the place. And they were struggling to get product in the stores. And a lot of the product that came in came in without much uh, – we would literally get trucks that would have – they called it pieces back then. And a piece could be you know just one thing or it could be a case of something. We would get you know a couple thousand pieces. Okay. And you literally would not know what it was, and it would all come in mixed together on the same pallets. Okay. So organizing it, getting it out the floor was a super challenge to do. With limited resources, I assume, too. Yes, limited people and limited time to train said people. Mm. I mean, there was days I ran, there was days as a manager in that store, it was me and three other sales associates in an entire Kmart. <laughs> if you can you imagine. Wow. It was 
crazy, you know. So obviously you can't give customer service. About the only thing you can do is ring people up. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of problems with that sort of system, but that's how bad it got. Okay, so that was an experience, though, that, that led you to a different company. So you stayed there, and, I mean, did you have a career potential path there? I did, um, but unfortunately it just – it was one I wasn't really ready to sacrifice my soul for. Uh, but you made the choice, not them. I made the choice, for sure. Good for, you. Um, Good for you. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so you went to Gap, mm-hmm. and in a similar role or a lesser role, because no matter what, you wanted to get out of the other <laughs> role. It was interesting. It was, it was somewhat of a lateral move, but okay. it wasn't lateral in terms of the experience. Now, um, Gap, um, I'm trying to think, was Gap, Gap is part of a larger company, am I correct? Gap is the larger company that owns Banana Republic. Um, they also own Old Navy as well. Okay, okay. And so you're going from a pretty much you know train wreck mm-hmm. into a much more corporate professional company. Yes, mm. night and day, 180 degrees. What was what was Gap doing right that Kmart wasn't? You know, I mean, because you think about that, right? Why why are there outliers? Why are there successes? And right. other lessons for us to learn, because in our business right now, in the business you're in right now, selling on Amazon, selling on eBay, selling on Craigslist, Etsy, whatever else, there are outliers that are just crushing us, <laughs> me too. And, you know, are there lessons that you saw from Gap versus Kmart that we could apply to? Sure, sure. I think um, <clears throat> Gap was really, Gap was a really well-run organization still at that time. It's since declined some. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because they haven't gotten their product as good as they could have. But the the structure that I went into was a highly performing team of managers. The leadership was really great. Gap understood that you could really only effectively manage just a few people. Um, it wasn't really realistic to think, you know, one or two store managers could manage a team of 40 or 50 sales associates. It's not really possible. They also understood that getting the customer experience right is kind of everything. Um, if you don't get that right, nothing else really matters because you don't have customers, and then you're not going to sell anything. So they they understood that from top to bottom and everything that they did in terms of their training, their marketing, their signage, the customer experience, making sure that you know their sales associates and their management team was taken care of and felt optimistic and engaged and part of the community of the, the store and the company and part of the mission. So that was it was really a holistic approach that I had never seen before and it was really refreshing. So, you know, I'm I'm assuming that you heard that same stuff from Kmart. Oh yeah, we want you blah blah blah, right? Every right. so often some quarter, you know, district manager would come in or whatever, you know, even yeah. buyer would be really great. Oh yeah, we want you're an important part of the team. Did did Gap have um a good uh, standard operating procedure, documentation, and training. I mean, you mentioned training specifically, but did they have that figured out? They did. They um, One of the differences I saw was just that they partnered people with um, veteran sales associates when they started, and that was a big difference because Kmart's solution was, hey, plop you in front of a, a VCR <laughs> TV combo, if you oh, still remember on. those. I'm really? telling you. And, hey, watch a bunch of tapes and you'll know everything, um, which is not the case. But instead, um, Gap had a system where they engaged you with a sales associate who was a little more veteran, who had been down some of the roads you walked. And they had this series of steps they took you for before where they talked about, you know, different levels of people. And when 
someone first starts, you kind of have to tell them everything to do. And then when a little bit later, you still tell them mostly what to do, but then you ask them some questions about what they're doing. And then you start having them tell you what they think they should be doing mm. as a sales associate. And I thought that was kind of a unique approach. Just they let you become more and more integrated as you understood more about the company and the culture and what they were doing. And all of a sudden, instead of just having, you know, five or six managers, it's kind of like you had 40 managers, you know, little managers out there doing, you know, they understood and they took pride in it. And if somebody wasn't doing it right, they were able to to correct them and bring, you know, let them know how to do it. And that was that was pretty empowering, I thought. Yeah, I wonder how we could apply that to our business today, you know, thinking about, you know, how you started in this business and we'll get there. But it's like, you know, you watch some videos or you have a friend tell you. Right. And say, oh, you know, Jason, you got to check this out, man. This thing called Amazon or this thing called eBay is the best thing, you know, in the world. It's right, freedom, right. Right. And and then, you know, how do you get them to that next level? Because I don't know about you, but I've had a ton of friends say, Steve, you need to teach me. And I'm like, mm, there is zero yeah. chance I'm teaching you. I can't teach you. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's taken me you yeah. know, eight, nine years to get to this level of, you know, you know, pounding it out here's Chris Green's book or here's, you know, start here, go sell something. And then maybe when you get to that next level, I wonder how we could apply that because I agree with you. I think that that method of learning, because it is overwhelming, even starting sure. in a gap store, right? Just how many SKUs does a store carry? Oh my right? gosh. Yeah. It thousands? was crazy. It has to be yeah. thousands, right? Yeah. And that then, particular store had like 95, 100,000 units on hand at Christmas time. Oh, my goodness. And then, you know, that cash register, you know, and everybody's like, oh, they don't know how to use, they don't know how to do math anymore because the ca those cash registers are planned. I mean, there's right. no, those things, there are engineers who figured out where that button goes, right? And, right. And so there's so many, and then you got the personalities, right? And not everybody's <laughs> sure. charming and pleasant. And I don't know about you, but not every customer is very pleasant or uh, can be challenging, right? Sure. So add all those things to the mix. Well, liken that to the business today for us, right? I mean, when you started, how overwhelming – did you start on Amazon or eBay first? I started on eBay first. Okay. So how overwhelming was eBay for you when you started? Um, it was overwhelming knowing what to sell. Okay. That, that was the biggest challenge for me because I'm an analyzer. And um, so, but I knew also it's like I, I kind of reached a point where I said I have experience selling clothing, I have experience managing teams of selling clothing, I have experience marketing clothing, so I'm gonna start there, and then I had to narrow down from there. But oh, that's smart though, because you knew what's I mean, because you taught others why this pair of jeans needs to be here versus there. Right. Right. Ooh, that's a that's a. That's a powerful skill set to have um, because if you understand it and then you can, as we just talked about a little while ago, when you're helping others understand it, you learn more too, right? When they're telling you back was the example you used. Um, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so with that skill set, you then can approach um, pretty much any platform, I think, because um, that's a skill set. I mean, knowing what to sell. Is, is a big piece of this business. I mean, learning the software is pretty easy. They're almost all the same. Yeah, there's nuances, right? Sure. But knowing what to sell, I would say, is probably one of the hardest things to learn if it can be taught. I'm not sure it can be taught. I tend to agree with you. Um, but I do think that the mistake that I see a lot of people make, and that I made this mistake at first, too, and I'm, 
maybe mistake's a harsh word, but the challenge is people want to sell everything. Hmm. And I understand that, to, but to a point, but my thought was you can't possibly analyze everything. Um, you can't scan everything. You can't look at everything. You just run out of time, which is always the one commodity we can never get enough of. And so I decided it made more sense, especially with eBay, to find some niches that I thought would make it a lot simpler on myself, that I could replicate, that I had supply for, that I had availability, that I had a low cost of goods, you know, all those things. And that would help, you know, I would gain efficiencies. I would gain knowledge much faster than trying to be so wide that I had to look at every single thing and just felt like, you know, walking in a store or a state sale or yard sale or whatever and just coming out like thinking, oh, man, I just had to look at 87 different things and only one of them was really worth picking up and I was here for four hours. <laughs> you know, it's like that that got kind of frustrating for me. So I decided to niche down to sort of take away some of that ambiguity right up front. And so you went to your natural no clothing, right? You do. Right. That was your jeans was your niche, correct? That's correct. Okay. So jeans was your niche. So you took something you knew from Kmart, right? Clothing, right? And the organized chaos that they, or the disorganized chaos they have. <laughs> you go to Gap where there's organized chaos. It's still chaotic because of 100,000 oh, sure. SKUs is chaos. I don't care what anybody says, right? Sure. However, you learned uh, that or sharpened that skill set um, that you probably had of being able to pick. And so when you think about that, um, when you're telling new people or suggesting to new people, I mean, is that right where you go? Go back to something that you know and just stay on it until you master it? Is that where you want to get to that master level? I think the important part, if someone's starting on eBay, for instance, is not so much that they master the entire niche, but that would be great if they do, but at least be able to master all the nuts and bolts of being able to sell something. The processes, yeah. Right, yeah, and, and having a niche makes it less overwhelming, I think, for a lot of people. Even if they don't have tremendous success in terms of the profitability and so on, that's not what you're really looking to gain. You're really looking to get, your, get in there, get your feet wet, get started, get moving, and find something that can you know, get you moving down that road to maybe where you're eventually going to end up, which is always going to evolve and change. Right. Let me ask you this. I'm thinking about this. Since you're a one- or two-person operation, where do you get better practices? Because you're, you know what you do, and you know what you know, right? You learned it. You developed right. it over time. But there is somebody who's figured out a better way pretty much for every step you have. I, me too. I mean, of course, uh, at, at me. Um, so where do you get your best practices? Is that one of the reasons for the YouTube channel? Um, I just had Stephanie Ing, uh, Inge on, and that's why I was thinking of this. She was the one who suggested we do you know, we should start meetups. She started. She's the first official eBay meetup group still operating. First oh, one. Oh, nice. And she said that that's what she gets from her group still to this day. Every month they meet. Been meeting for 17 years or some crazy number, and they still get that benefit of figuring out a better way. Right. So, where do you get yours? No, it's it's very similar. I I realized early on that starting on YouTube was for two reasons. One was to, you know, let people know what I knew and my experiences were and document my journey, but also it was somewhat of a little selfish reason. I realized I was going to meet people. It was going to allow me to network with other resellers, mm -hmm. other watchers, 
And I was going to learn far more from them than they were ever going to learn from me. And that has absolutely been the case. And I've developed some really great close relationships behind the scenes with certain people as well that has just, I mean, I couldn't even imagine two years ago, you know, having these sorts of connections when nobody knew who I was and I didn't know who anybody was. And, you know, they, those connections and networking have taken me off in directions that just are so invaluable, but you've got to make, I mean, you don't know all the answers, Stephen. So nobody does. And I think you've got to realize that and you've got to realize you're always evolving and learning and growing. And if you do that, then you're always going to be seeking source of information, whether it's YouTube videos or networking with connections or meetups are awesome. We've had a couple of them here in my area that we've sponsored where we've just learned like just tons of stuff. That's just ridiculous. You would never even get if you, and these people aren't, aren't YouTubers, you know, that you would never know these people. And it's like, Oh, well I've done this for 18 years. Let me tell you about it. And you're like, wow. <laughs> okay. Are, are these real relationships now? Yes, they, now, they think are. Think about this. So go back to your Kmart days, your gap days, or even your college days, do you have those types of relationships from those events in your life still that are that deep? That's a great question. And I think if what you may be getting at, if I understand you correctly, is just that with the way social media is and the way we interact now on the Internet, we form relationships, but they're not very deep. They're wide. They're superficial. Right. Right, but not deep. And it's hard because you can't really have too many deep relationships with too many people. It's just too time consuming. And so you have to pick and choose and be very choosy. But you're absolutely right. But I think they're critical because the on-screen relationships are only what people want to show you. So you have to find these ones outside of those. And we found several, at least a half a dozen or so that we just really, um, really value quite a bit. And learn so much from those people, but more so we just like them as people too, which is right. also important. The, and I think this is a rarity. This is where I was going with it, is that in your corporate life, you're, it, it's, it's still superficial, and you see those people more than you probably saw your wife, right? I mean, let's right. face it, you're at Kmart all day. You spent more time with them. However, you never got past. You might have known they had a kid or somebody, you know, you might have gotten to a birthday or whatever. However, right. it never generally, generally doesn't go deeper than that. In this new world that we're in, if you choose to accept it and put yourself out there as what you're doing, you can develop deep, meaningful relationships. I was thinking of a friend who was sick. The first person he called was me. You know, mm -hmm. and here we met through we met through uh, right. through Chris Green, as a matter of fact, or somewhere. You know, what I mean? and it's like those relationships, that depth, because, and I don't know how this works in your life, and I've said this a million times, my our business and our personal life are so intertwined, but not in the negative way that it would have been working for Kmart. And I'm not right. picking on Kmart. I don't mean it in the negative way. Working for Walmart, working for, you know, 7-Eleven, uh, uh, anywhere, where, you know, when you had to get involved in the company, it was always usually a negative when you're on call or whatever. You know, they didn't call you to say, hey, things are going great here, you know, just wanted to let you know. It was always the crisis, right? Now... Our business and our personal life intertwine so often, so many times a day, but almost always in a positive way. Yeah. How about you? No, I, I totally agree because, you know, you've, you've chosen who you want to be associated with. And they've, they've chose you, but you don't have to choose them. 
And once you've chosen those people, you continue those relationships and build on them. I once read that it takes seven years of knowing someone before you can consider them a friend forever. Um, And I have one friend (laughs) who fits that, that mode. And, but I'm working on some others, and a lot of these people in the reselling community that I have made relations with, I hope I will have a relationship with them that long and longer because I think there's value there because of who they are as people and what they know. Um, so it's, a, you know, it's both parts of that equation, who they are and what they know, and I hope that I can bring you know, the same to them. And I, you're exactly right. Like You can be connected to them all the time. Um, which is if you if you choose to be, you can have an instant connection to them, whereas in the past that was very difficult. You know, you lived in different towns or places or you never even knew they existed and it was just not as feasible. So it's obviously changed quite a bit. There's no reason to surround yourself with anyone but people who are successful and lift you up and you lift them up as well. And that's what I try to do. I think it's so powerful what you just said. You, you, you have to choose. That's the intentional. And it's hard letting go of some difficult relationships or even relationships that didn't appear difficult when you think about them. Right. They were, and but you become so much better and so much more positive, right? Because, you know, life's short, and uh, ooh, I'm getting chills thinking about it. Dude, you got me there. <laughs> okay, so, um, <laughs> no, it, it, it's very powerful, because here, here's another thing I'll say, is you put yourself out there. It's hard. Somebody, you know, once in a while I get somebody like, oh, Steve, how do you do it? I'm like, I don't know, you just do it, and it's hard. It's not easy. There are definitely, you come up against challenges and For stuff, sure. but you keep doing it, and I get 10 hundred times back what I give, right? And so you're doing the same thing. And, and what is it? To, to have friends, you have to be a friend, right? And so, you know, I try to try to be as friendly as I can with any person that I can, whoever asks a question or whatever I can do to help them. And I always get, you know, tenfold back with, and I have no expectation. I don't want anything. I'm always telling people, no, they're always like, oh, can I, I'm like, no, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm good. But let me know if I can help you, you know? Right. Um, so, okay. So you, <laughs> we're back to Gap. But which is a very fascinating discussion. You worked there for how long, and then what happened? I worked there for six years, um, and I reached a point in my career there where I thought, I'm not really going to go much higher. Um, unfortunately, you know, I played the whole, hey, tag on to a certain person you know, higher than you and hope that they do well. <laughs> right. Ride the coattails. Ride the coattails. Yeah. I've, I've chosen wrong, too. Yeah. And and I did. And I, I they weren't it wasn't that they were poor. They just they became disillusioned. Um, the company, unfortunately, started doing more poorly. Um, they brought in some a CEO who, you know, just, hey, I'll improve the bottom line. I'll just cut a bunch of costs, which right. does improve the bottom line, but it comes at a cost. So I've reached a point there where I thought I'm not going to go any further in this career. And it's just not fulfilling me. Um, at this point, and I don't know how it's going to fulfill me. Um, so I ended up leaving uh, the company after, I guess it was six years. Um, and it was a good decision because it had, it had changed quite a bit from when I'd started, and I had changed. And But between the two, it just didn't make sense to continue you know, going down that path. So if your goals and your company's goals don't align your future goals, then you need to make a choice. I think that's very healthy. Yeah, and so many people that I talk to in the reseller community, in this community, who are working full-time jobs and, you know, want to do this part-time or maybe want to do it full-time, they, they, they're they afraid. Um, they're afraid of leaving, but they don't like where they're at. Mm. 
And I always thought, you know, your fear of being unhappy, unfulfilled, stressed out, snapping at everybody around you, horrible relationships with the people that love you and your family, those things are more important than any job. Um, so if that job is causing all that stress and putting all that chaos in your life, you got to say no to it. you got to make an exit strategy and implement it's, it's it. Back to the friendship thing, right? You have to be intentional in choosing. Right. You know, it's not leave your job. And I, we, I think you would agree with me. Don't leave your job. Right. It's create a plan to extricate yourself from that job. Exactly. By meeting goals and setting milestones. And, 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 you know, once you hit that milestone, okay, this will happen. Okay, boom. This milestone, this will happen. That's a, that's the, I mean, quite frankly, that's how I got to where I am. Um, I was able to retire at 51 because of hitting those milestones. And it wasn't easy. And some cool things happened that allowed it to happen a little sooner than I planned. That's awesome. But, for, and I, somebody asked me, for seven years, I worked seven days a week. Almost every single day, I'd go and ship from our warehouse seven days a week. Um, that's, a, that's a long plan, right? Sure. That's a long game. Right. But, but you get there, right? That's exactly right. And you're not so much running away from something as you're running right. towards something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to be honest, here's one more little observation, at least my personal observation. I don't know if it worked for you. Once you're in the middle of that plan and you're hitting those milestones – your attitude changes, right? Uh, because it's like, okay, I have a real B plan, not a what if and could I make it. Um, you stop asking, could I make it? Because you know you could. And then your attitude's like, ooh, could I do it faster? Could I do it sooner? That's a different place to go to work with that attitude. You know, yes. and not a negative. And I always gave a hundred percent, but it's just that you get to that place, and it's a very interesting place to get to. Yeah. Okay, so you uh, is that when the teaching career started? It started not long after that. I went, I went back to it. I had done it a little bit in grad school during my, um, you know, I was like a teaching assistant. And I left Gap, and here's where, you know, at that time in my life, I did not have the same uh, wisdom, insight I have now, I guess, for lack of a better word. <laughs> do, you have, do you have kids? Uh, no. I do not okay. have kids, but but I did not have a clear plan leaving Gap. Um, I really stepped out there on a limb and said, well, I'm going to figure it out. I don't know what else I'm going to do, but it's going to be better than this. And, um, you know, teaching came back to me um, not a couple years down the road, and uh, it was it was amazing. I love teaching, and I loved teaching, you know, at that level as well. It's so cool. Uh, one of my favorite things I've ever done. Tremendous sense of enjoyment. And fulfillment. When you see the lights go on in somebody's eyes, it's got to be very rewarding. It is. It is. And the light I look for is not the light that they've learned something, the light that they've learned how to think about something. Mm. And to, that's important to me. What, is there a gap experience here in the teaching? Were you able to bring that, that method of learning that you were like, wow, this is like night and day versus the Kmart world I learned? Right. Were you able to bring any of that into the teaching world for students? Oh, sure, because we would, you know, when we, as employees went down the line of, you know, becoming more and more seasoned, we would ask them more questions instead of giving them the answers. So it became sort of a Socratic method way of getting people to learn things because employees would come to you with a problem and instead of giving them the solution, you would help guide them to the solution. Hmm. And in well, teaching, I did the same thing. Okay, yeah, that's where I was going. I wanted to make sure that I understood that because 
with students today, I think of my son who's coming home today um, uh, for the Thanksgiving break, and um, he's coming home today. And I always, I'm always trying to, you know, to impress upon him that you need to learn, you know, because uh, as an employer, I need to know that you know something, right? I mean, the degree doesn't mean a hill of beans to me. I need to know that you you have learned something and you right. can bring something to our to our thing. So I'm interested to know more about that. Um, when you're teaching today, uh, how about that? Versus when you learned, what did you do different? I, I think that the biggest thing that I did was I did not assume that people were coming at problems from the same viewpoint as me. They were not coming at situations. Um, my classroom was more back then and is now, I guess if you call YouTube a classroom, um, it was, it was more about, it was more about realizing that people have different perceptions of things that are based on their experiences, based on their biases, based on their, you know, their life, just as mine are. And it's really hard to escape those and get outside of those for a moment. But I think there's value in the struggle to do that. So when I come at business, even bringing it back to our, our business example for a moment, you know, I may think this is the way to do something, and then I get exposed to somebody else's method, and, you know, the biased part of me would say, oh, well, discount that. That's not worth anything because you've already figured this out. And then I realize, wait, maybe there is some value there. <laughs> maybe I'm, I just need to look at this a different way. And even if, I, even if all I get from it is, all right, I don't want to go that direction. It doesn't make sense to me because of this and this and this. Fine. But a lot of times I find that people – are reluctant to change just because they've always done something a certain way or they've always thought about it a certain way. And I struggle against that. And I try to, I hope that I get that message across to other people. Like there's not, the conventional wisdom often isn't very conventional nor very wise a lot of times. And you have to kind of always be asking these questions to evolve and grow as a as a as a reseller, as a person, for that matter. So that was a long-winded answer. So <laughs> no, it's a good one because I, I think what the it, has it gotten has the business gotten easier since you've taken that approach? Because I think that that's a very sound, right? You know, right. Because you're either going to learn that yes, I'm doing it the right way. It reinforces what you're doing because you see somebody else and you're like, man, I don't want to do that. Right. Or you're going to say, ooh, I could tweak and I can I can bring some of that in. Right. Or, you know what? The heck with my way. His way is so much shorter. Right. He's right. reduced two touch points or whatever. Um, so has that been able to, you know, transform your business? And if so, I mean, isn't that like one of the most powerful things? The lesson right here in the conversation right here is have that open mind and take that lens and look at it from all sides. Uh, yes. And it's it's transformed things in the sense that. It's how to say this. It's important to me or more important to me to know why I'm doing something and what direction I'm going than to just be going in a direction. You know, we talk about being busy and we talk about hustling and working hard and those things are important. But if you're doing things that don't really contribute to your goals and they don't really push you in the direction of your objectives, you're just wasting your time and your energy. So I've, I've learned to spend a little more time you know, reading, educating, watching my, you know, watching things and educating myself so that I can move in directions that I think will work based on what other people have done. And then I incorporate that into my own business, you know, and take my own experiences and shape that. But, you know, if you're 
if you're going out and you're you're buying something and you're selling it for you know 25 cents profit on every single item, you know unless you can get <laughs> hundreds of thousands or millions of them, it's not going to be very easy to make very much revenue. So just working harder is not enough. You've got to you. It's such a cliche, but you really have to work smarter first. And so hopefully you don't have to work quite as hard because you only have so many hours, so much time and energy you can put into something. So you've got to be selective in how you invest every single hour. What kind of return are you going to get for that? So I've really tried to do that in my business, especially the last six months to a year, and it's definitely paid off. Is it help that, and as I sit here thinking about this, I think this is very good advice, does it help that you were so niched? Um, because then you really, you know, those processes, you didn't have to worry about packing a lamp versus packing a, a pair of jeans, right? Because right. there's a material difference in those two, um, or sourcing them, right, in knowledge. And so by being so niched, you could almost, you know, perfect is such a strange word because it's going to perfect over time, right? It's going right. to continue to evolve. But you could perfect it for the moment as much as you could and then evolve over time. I think that's a very very sound piece of advice you just gave. Them. Yeah, I mean, because if you think about the way, you know, a large company manufactures a product, um, you know, they, they do the same thing over and over in the most efficient manner possible with the best equipment and the best practices. And that's how they turn volume. And you can do that as an entrepreneur. If you are niched down, like with jeans, for instance, you know, we were able to get, you know, the amount of time and so on to quality control a pair, to list them, to photo them, get them all set up, you know, like five minutes. And when I tell people that, there's some people that say, there's no way you can do them that quick. And that's because they're trying to do 12 different items every hour. And if you had to do 12 completely different items, yeah, it'd be hard to do each one in five minutes. It'd be very difficult. Um, but I've talked to some other reseller friends and so on who have niched as, as well, and they've really focused on their practices. And they say the same thing. Like we compared our times on doing things and they were very similar. And it's like, yeah, when you get your practices down and you have your efficiencies in place and you do things in an order that makes sense for your business, you can get very quick. And I mean, you don't have to think about them because I don't want to have to think about how to photograph a pair of jeans or how to pack up and ship a pair of jeans. That doesn't, I don't really gain anything by doing that. Every minute I spend on that, I'm, I'm losing money. I'm losing profit. I'm losing productivity. So I definitely... I definitely think there's a lot of power in doing that. You know, I'm thinking it's funny, jeans, because uh, one of the local flea markets that I barely attend anymore because I'll go and buy a bunch of stuff and I don't want to buy anything like that, right? I have a, a buying problem there. <laughs> um, like, I'll scale buy. Like, I'll buy the, oh, I'll take it all, you know? Right, right. And so uh, I, I think of one, though, and their whole model is they buy jeans at yard sales for a quarter mm -hmm. and they sell them there for five bucks. I think they raise their price to six bucks, but all of them are priced the same. That's it. Their whole business model is that. And I think to myself, man, that's a very, very – they go to yard sales, and all they do is buy jeans. So that right. makes it easy, right? I mean, right. that's it. Do you have any jeans for sale? Instead of asking for video games, like 99% of the uh, anyone under 50 probably asks. Right. No, I'm on jeans. Yes. Oh, here you go. How much are they? Quarter. I mean, that's probably what they're going to go for, right? And so then they just go and they, but they have little tags on them that tell you the size. And I think to myself, I've seen that and I thought, wow, that is a very, very simple business model. Buy one item, sell one item. Right. Buy it at this price, sell it at this price. And I think that that niche, you could apply it there, um, is, is very smart because they don't have 
the packing issues, the storage issues that a lot of other things can bring. So I, I think that's really good sound advice. Hmm. I think I'm going to use that going forward when somebody wants to come in. Instead of saying sell the stuff around your house, it's like, no, pick something in your house that you want to sell that interests you mm-hmm. and then sell that and then replicate that. I think that's that's sharper. Yeah, Iron sharpens iron, as my one friend says. Iron sharpens iron. And I think it's easy to to research a niche as well. I mean, it's so much easier to say, I'm going to go find out, all right, what are 10 great jeans brands to sell and what are they selling for? How often does this sell through? And, you know, whether it's eBay or Amazon or whatever platform you're on. um, And it's harder to do that if you're kind of selling everything because you you have to be an expert on everything and you can't be an expert on everything. You can't even come close. So that's why I chose to do it that way. It's I just thought it made sense given all those. Well, I think it, it makes perfect sense, and I think it's obviously learned over time. I think your experience sure. at Kmart taught you that the you know when you're that truck you described when you never knew what was going to be on it that's that's chaos that's <laughs> yeah. disorganized chaos. You get to Gap where it's generally much more. I mean, it, it you know there's a hundred thousand things, but generally right. they're tops and mostly jeans or whatever you know. So that makes more sense. Okay, so you're teaching. How does eBay come into the picture? Is it a gap filler? For income, is it a hobby or is it a midlife? What was it? It was probably a gap filler to some degree and, and a bit of a hobby at the same time. I didn't. I started. I think I started my account in 2008. Um, so I started, you know, selling a few things here, a few things there, nothing crazy, but it was more of a gap filler or hobby. That's a good way to describe it. Okay, and so, and I, I think that's a very, uh, very sound gap filler, right? I mean, for a side hustle, I like to use that phrase too. Sure. I think eBay is a very good one, or Amazon, whichever one you want, or Etsy if you're if you got those skill sets. So you were making money to sustain the professor's job. Yeah, there. Well, it was uh, it was not a full time position, unfortunately, but it was full time hours. <laughs> that makes sense. Mm. And, you know, the teaching field, especially higher education, is difficult to break into in some fields. Um, I didn't have a doctorate, which right. was a was a big de- a detriment. That was a deterrent to getting. That's a, a limit. It That's is a limit. And I looked into getting one and I thought, oh, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a thing to have to go through to get one. I mean, it's it's not an easy, quick process and it's not cheap and there's no guarantees. Um, so I realized that teaching, while it could always be, you know, a part-time um, deal, it wasn't really like a long-term solution. Um, now, your wife supportive this whole time? Well, that's that's another thing. There was a lot of life changes that were going on. I, I divorced uh, from my wife, um, and I was in a relationship with someone else at that time. And, you know, they were supportive for sure. But, you know, I was a bit directionless, to be completely honest. I was a bit aimless in, in lots of ways, not just, you know, a career, profession, or business. Um, so it was well, a tough time. Divorce would do that to you. I mean, let's face it. That's a, I always say that, you know, marriage is life, and that's a death. Yes. When marriage ends, that's a death. Um, that's a real – because you are one, and now you're not. And right. so that is a death. And that's a very difficult thing to get past. What gave you the direction? What was it that where the light came on and you were like, <laughs> aha, I have a plan? Maybe you don't have that plan yet, but it sounds like you have a plan. Well, I started um, – I guess about three years ago, I started you know, getting back more into the eBay game and selling again. But I was still struggling with you know some of the leftover – baggage, I hate that word, 
but you know that from these pre- this previous relationship i had gotten into this relationship with Karin, who i'm i'm with now and it was a struggle and actually i reconnected with my faith um that was mm-hmm. absolutely what did it 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 made me realize some things about myself it made me show some grace to others as well as myself for you know things in the past and mistakes i'd made and that you know tomorrow is a new day and there's we all get you know a lot of second chances um and that's because that's what life is it's it's second chances over and over sometimes and you just don't get it right the first time a lot of times and it really just changed my whole perspective on a lot of things, to be quite honest. So it centers you, right? Yes. If, if you embrace it in, in whatever your faith is, it centers you, or it can, right? If you allow it. So hmm. okay. So you get centered, you get focused. Um, how about your health? Was your health okay through all this? My health was good uh, so far. Okay. Knock on wood. <laughs> knock on wood. So you were you were doing, but I mean that, that didn't start to slip as you started to slip. Uh, you didn't get down that road. I did gain weight. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was about 30 pounds heavier than I am now. So uh, so just uh, that, that, that's what creeps. I mean, that's yeah. what happens, right? When that lifestyle, you, when you go that way. Sure. Okay. All right. So you, you're selling, and what happens that makes you decide that this is a full-time opportunity for me? Well, I had, I'd actually gotten a job um, with um, AT&T, and it was, you know, it was an okay job. It was just something to get, you know, it was okay money, nothing great. At one of the stores, kind of selling. No, I was actually a technician um, for oh, okay. them. So I was a guy who would come out and hook up your your cable, your phone, your internet, for lack of a better okay. word. And okay, you know, uh, learn some interesting skills like how to climb a telephone pole. Which I'm not sure if I'll ever use it, but hey, if it comes up, I think it's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> I don't know that I would tempt it. It looks a lot harder. Yeah, especially 30 pounds heavier. It was a little bit harder. Yeah. But um, and I got hurt on the job. Um, believe it or not, I was out from the job for I was out of work um, for well over a year, um, and I they they released me um, because I could no longer you know do the duties of the job, which sucked. That was kind of a blow to my my ego a little bit, a blow to my self confidence. And but I understand you know it's I would do the same thing if I was an employer at this point. You have to you know run your business. I get that. And I um, said, you know, I got to do something coming out of this. Like, what am I going to do? And I decided, you know, eBay has been, you know, a nice little hobby in the past. Maybe there's something there to it. So I started watching some YouTube videos on it, started doing my research, my due diligence, and uh, found a couple um, resellers on there, the Steve Rakins of the world and um, some people like that. And I was like, you know, I used to be in clothing management. I have some experiences. Maybe I can sell clothing on eBay, and that's how it that's how it started. And, and, and if you think about it, I mean, it is, I don't know how much you think about this, but from Steve on the outside, thinking, a you you know something about clothing, but you know inventory, right? Right. You know how to move inventory, how to process inventory. You can break things down. It sounded like you had to do some sourcing. Um, now you have this technical skill set that you've honed in on, even with AT and T, right? You've, you've met, so all these things kind of give you a pretty good framework for this business um, in in some way. I mean, I, I think that's very powerful, and I think most people have that, 
And it's a shame that they don't yeah. recognize that and sit back and say, well, yeah, you're right. I, I do know this. I do know this. And we take it for granted. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but there aren't really failures. There's just things you learn from. Um, and you've got to, if you treat it that way, you can look at everything that happened to you as a learning opportunity. You know, even if you learn, oh, that's not the direction I want to go. Well, you know that now. So you can check that off the list. So, yeah, absolutely. Now, is your significant other full time in the business with you? Um, she's not. She okay. um, has other employment as as well that she does, um, and she's kind of developing her own social media presence and YouTube and some other things she's doing, blogging and so on. But but she's involved in some way, so there's oh, yeah. a connection there, right? So again, we're back to that that network. There's your network right there. Yes. Okay, and so when did you add Amazon? Is it just natural because Steve added Amazon and you start seeing, you know, Chris Dupree or any of those guys start talking about it? Yeah, they did, and some of the guys in the green room. I joined the green room in 2015 um, because I, you know, I went on Facebook and started looking up groups and became members of a few, and they were a bit chaotic for me. Um, you know, there was too much uh, noise. And I thought, well, what's this deal with the green room? You know, I'd heard some other people talk about them. And I said, well, it's a smaller group, and that's cool, and it's a paid group. And I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, I didn't look at it as like, oh, it's a paid group. Do I really want to pay money for this? I looked at it as like, that might separate <laughs> some of the people who are serious versus the people who aren't. And I would rather be around, you know, there's value in that, being around people who are like-minded and, you know, they're serious about you know, this business and networking with those people. So I did join that and that's where I got exposed a little bit more to Amazon people like John Dugan and um, Jameson and some of those guys who, you know, were doing Amazon and so on. I was like, ah, I should probably try out this Amazon thing as well. All right, all right. And that's the advice, right? Be on every platform you can. You know, I, what I say, I'm a member of the Green Room too, and what I would say is that it's a little more um, – uh, general e-commerce group, right? Because right. there are a lot of large eBay sellers there or eBay slash Amazon slash whatever. And they have that approach. And that mindset is theirs. They're not an Amazon-only specific group or an eBay specific group. They really are in the middle and they, they, they tend towards both. Um, and a lot more of lifestyle. I think that they talk a lot more about lifestyle. Right. At least I see that. Agreed. Hmm. Okay, so you're full-time life's going good and you decide I'm not busy enough I'm going to add <laughs> this YouTube. Oh, is it is it a payback thing kind of, you know, because, you know, are we because you're centered, because you're focused, now you can help others. Is it kind of a mission thing? If I could have stayed as a full-time college professor, that's what I would have done. Um Period. I loved it. And I still would love it on some degree, but I didn't I wasn't willing to take the extra sacrifice for a lot of uncertainty to go into it, as we mentioned earlier, um, with you know with going the doctorate route, and there's just not any guarantees. There's not a lot of positions. It's hard these days. Um, right. um, so YouTube became an extension of that. I thought, you know, I can extend out what I know, which is going to force me, like you mentioned earlier, when you have to teach something, you really have to learn it. Um, and it forced me to think about these things on a different level. So I thought, you know, I don't know. And when I first went on YouTube, it was interesting because I was like, I don't want anybody to see me. I'm just going to be this a channel where nobody actually sees me. They're just going to hear my voice. I'm going to do PowerPoints. And yeah, it lasted about two or three videos and then it changed. But um, it was interesting, you know, to kind of go down that road and thought, I'm kind of teaching again in a way. 
and um, you know it was really exciting. It gives you that thing that you used to get when a student would be like, ah, I get it. When you get those notes mm -hmm. or those comments, and I'm sure the negative ones take a piece of your soul. Like they do <laughs> sure. But, but the other ones, when I get that, I get it as a ton of notes, and it's just so heartwarming to say, hey, that's awesome. You know, and I don't want anything. I mean, it's just cool that you figured it out, and all I did was channel a little bit of it. Um, so you get that benefit of what you, like you said, you be full-time. Well, to me, it sounds like you're getting the best part without the grief, because it, it isn't all perfect, right? It isn't rainbows and unicorns uh, working in a school right. and all the, especially with the pressures now, financial pressures that are out there. Um, you get to choose to do it. I think that's that's probably a better place, probably a better fit for you. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting when you mentioned you know the negative comments and the old Jason, you know, five, six, seven years ago. I would have thought, I have to answer every single one of these. I have to respond to this person and tell them what's what and set them straight. And now I realize, you know, with a little more perspective, a little more age, a little more wisdom, I hope, that people who say things that are negative to me or anybody, it comes from a place of deficiency in their own life. They're deficient somehow. And when they see someone doing something that's different than them or seem to be successful or happy, it upsets them. And that's how they lash out, and it makes me it makes me feel bad for them. To be honest, I don't yeah. I don't treat it as they're just an awful, terrible person. And I'm like, you know, people aren't born good or bad; they're just born. And then things happen, yeah. and they get you know it changes them. And so I look at it as like even those people I, that just recommits me to be even more positive, to be more energetic, enthusiastic, you know, to to, to show them grace. And, and move forward and hope that, you know, at some point they'll they'll feel differently about things because nobody wants to feel yeah. like that. Their perspective at that point is there for that reason. Whatever, as you mentioned, all those external things that have made them that way, they still have a perspective and that's not unfair. Um, right. However, you know, it will change because it, 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 life's going to happen. Right. Life happens to everyone and then your perspective changes and then all of a sudden it's like, ooh, I think about how many times I was a jerk. <laughs> I mean, I do. And I think about, you know, yep. here's one. I'll, I'll give you an easy one. I pull up to the post office every day and I see this truck or these other cars pulled back behind the meter in front of me, the one that I'm supposed to use. And I'm like, I can't fit. Now I'm going to cause a problem for the thing behind me. Boom, I go in, I pull in, I park my truck, and I go and look, and here now I'm that guy who's parked in between the two meters in essence, and I'm thinking, man, I was judging other people, and yet now it's now me. It's me. And my perspective <laughs> has completely changed, and I'm like, now I'm that guy. And where in the past it would upset me, and I'd be, you know what I mean? And it's like, nobody, you know. So anyway, I, your perspective changes, and it will change for all those people too, and I think that's cool. All right, so I think we've gotten the good story. I think it's very cool where you're at. It sounds like you're in a lane, you feel like it, and you're in a lane. You're in, you know, you're selling what you're selling because you like it, you enjoy it, and you know something about it. You're teaching, which sounds like something you enjoy, and you're getting that benefit. Let's let's close with ways that other we can help others, right? Two of us are kind of teaching a little bit here. What can we do to help people get past that point of stuck? In our, I think it was in our pre-conference call, we were talking about somebody selling three hundred thousand dollars a month and somebody who's stuck at thirty. And, you know, what's the difference between those two, right? The, who's the guy who says it's 10% good and great, right, the difference? Mm -hmm. What can we teach people? What can we – give me a couple things that we can do that people can put into their business to get them moving forward past stuff. 
Well, the first thing is don't play the comparison game. Um, Mm -hmm. There's no value in that. There's no value in looking at your results compared to someone else because you're not them. You're not their business. You're not starting from the same place. You're not necessarily doing it the same way. And it doesn't really, it doesn't gain you anything. If you perceive yourself to be higher than them, you get a little confident and a little, maybe a little cocky. And if you perceive yourself to be lower than them, you feel bad. (laughs) And the competition is with yourself. So I try very hard to compare my results to my results. I compare my processes to my processes. I learn from other people and incorporate what they do, but I want to incorporate their success, not their results. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to me to say, oh, I did as much as that person. Well, so what? Um, it means something to me to say, I did better than I did last month or last year. Mm. I changed, and, and it's not always just a numbers thing either. Sometimes it's just the way you're running your business. It's the way you're going about it. You gained two hours in your life, right. and you had the same revenue. I took another Man, vacation. That's, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah, right? I mean, life is about more than just business. I mean, why are we doing this? We're not doing this to to live. I mean, you, you did it to, to retire early, which is an awesome goal. It's like now you have that freedom to go and do things because we're all trying to gain the time to go do the things we really love. And you're not going to die wishing you'd spent more time at work. You know, you're going to die thinking, oh, I spent a lot of time with my family and that was cool and people that loved me and I did cool things and great experiences. And that's why I do it. Um, The second thing I would say to people too is just don't give up. The only definition, the only difference between a successful entrepreneur and one is not is they persevered. I mean, Mm. all the most successful entrepreneurs we've seen the one thing that separates them is they, they failed and then did not give up. And so many people give up now. They get one little batch of results they think is not up to their standard, and they just want to quit. And I'm like, there's, no, there's nothing that's ever going to get better from quitting unless you just absolutely hate something. It's just absolutely destroying your joy and robbing you of it. But you can't give up on this stuff. Perseverance wins the game every time. You'll figure it out. You'll figure out better ways if you keep growing and evolving and learning. And you can only do that if you, if you keep going. Just, you know, you don't have to know. I, I said this quote the other day on a, on a show, and you don't have to know, you know, if, you, if it's going to take you 50 steps to get to some objective, you don't have to know what step 47 looks like or 32. You just have to start with one and two. And you'll you'll figure out three and four and five and six. As you take those steps, it'll become clearer and clearer and clearer. Yeah. And a lot of people forget smart. that. No, it's it's absolutely smart. It, it 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 will the path will be shown as you go on it. Right, take that leap of faith. Hmm. Okay, so those are both very very powerful. The other, the other thing I would add to it is um, go back to that network. You know, we started this conversation talking about networks and how important it has become. You know, watch Prof Sales. Watch him on YouTube and, and reach out to him when you have a question or he says something that you can connect with. Reach out to him. That network, um, you know, I meet a million people. I love it. I love meeting every single person I do because at some point I'll hear they'll be they'll send me a note and say, hey, you know, I met you. Hey, can I ask a question? Absolutely. Right. You don't even have to meet me to ask me a question. But guess what? There are times where I'm like, hey, you, you mentioned something, Jason, about this that you know about. Can I send somebody to you? They're looking for some advice. That's the, the quid pro quo I get back. You know what I mean? It's like I gave you some help. You give me some right. help. And it's just such a wonderful thing. That network 
is probably the thing that will propel you. You take the advice there um, that you've given, add that network to it. Man, I, I don't think there's any stopping you because, let's face it, this isn't an easy business. But working at Kmart was not an easy no. business. Working at Gap was not an easy business. Working at AT&T, <laughs> working at the professor was a. They're just nothing's easy. Right. You just got to find your lane and and enjoy it. Okay, so somebody has follow up questions. So I'm going to put the Prof Sales YouTube link out there. Um, is there another way if somebody has a question they can message you or? Yeah, they could. Um, they can message me on Facebook. I actually have a page okay. as well. It's okay. um, Facebook.com/slash/profsales. Um, slash prof sales. No space in there, right? Just right, prof just prof sales. sales. Um, and uh, they can actually email me as well. I, I have a uh, – it's, it's prof sales page, by the way. I don't know if I said that. But they have – I actually have an email, profsales44 at gmail.com. Profsales44 yeah. at gmail.com. Or okay. the best way is, I think in a lot of ways, leave a comment on a video maybe that you wanted to follow up on. Because I see all those. I respond to all those. Um, you know, emails get a little problematic sometimes because just the length of questions and replies that are needed gets a little bit time consuming at times. But um, comments on YouTube are great because then other people can learn from it as well. Right. And and they can expand on it. Right. If you missed a point, right? Yep. I mean, let's face it, we both agree we don't know everything. Absolutely. So my thoughts and then somebody can improve on it and improve on it and improve on it. And I think that that's powerful. Yep. Dude, that's awesome. Man, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy. I, I really appreciate you taking the time because I think there's, there's it, you know, we're kindred spirits in that learning and wanting to help others. Um, and I just love that you put yourself out there, and I just think it's so powerful. So I just want to say thank you so much. I wish you nothing but success. Thank you, Stephen. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Take care. We're clear. Hold on. Let me hit this. Now, hopefully this will not... Okay, hit that. Man, what a great guy. I hope you uh, go out and check out his YouTube. I have all the links out there. I think it's worth learning from someone else. And again, I think it's a choice. And I think if you're part-time and you're thinking about going full-time, listen to the advice. Um, I think it's very solid. I think there's a way to get to where you want to be. But make sure it's really where you want to go. Uh, before you get there because you don't want to get there and say oh I don't like this or this isn't for me enjoy the ride the ride is such a fun fun place and get your head changed when your attitude changes and it will when you get to that place where you're successful with your B plan your side hustle your attitude will change and then you don't mind going to work because you know there's a timeline and you're counting it down so ecommercemomentum.com and I want you to remember my sponsors out there first off let's do the scope uh, for Seller Labs, but let's not forget the Toys for Tots. I mean, this is the time. We guys have crushed it. This is the time. 250 bucks. Get a shirt. Um, just send a copy to either me or to Jeff uh, of the letter, and he'll count it towards their 50000 But then don't forget Scope using it. As a matter of fact, I'm doing a bunch of wholesale products, and I'm getting ready to improve the listing. And what am I going to do? I'm going to that one with the keyword, and I'm going to use their keywords. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what I use as scope. Uh, very, very simple process. Solutions for e-commerce. Karen, I was chatting with Karen. She's the one who's creating these four variations for me. Um, so I'll upload it to her. I'll upload all the titles stuff to her, changes. I'll upload the keyword stuff to her. And then it just happens. That's what I get when I use solutions for e-commerce. Very, very powerful. That's my account manager. And I suggest you use her too. So it's sellerlabs.com scope. Use the code MOMENTUM. And then uh, solutionsforecommerce.com slash momentum. And you're going to get that inventory health report. Ecommercemomentum.com. Take care.
Thanks for listening to the e-commerce momentum podcast. All the links mentioned today can be found at ecommercemomentum.com under this episode number. Please remember to subscribe and let